Good morning, everybody. If you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you're here with us today as we're in part two of a series called No Freedom. And if you look at our series logo, you notice a couple of things about it. First thing you notice that it can have two different meanings. So that first meaning, the word no, K-N-O-W, means knowledge, means experience. And so that's part of what we're talking about in this series is how do we know from an experiential base the, the freedom that God offers us? But if you look at the word again, you see the letters N-O are highlighted in, in yellow. Uh, and again, we've got the, the yellow, the white, the black combination. No, no reference to Pittsburgh Steelers who are playing tonight. Um, go Steelers, right? Yeah, okay, okay, sorry. Terrible way to start a service. Probably not do that in the second service, but just kind of saw the colors and was distracted. Squirrel. So uh, you see the, the letters N-O highlighted, and that can also mean no as in an absence of something. So no freedom. And that's how many of us feel when it comes to this time of year, because in this time of year, often we're thinking about making commitments. We're thinking about bettering our lives in some way. And kind of subtly or subconsciously, we feel like, you know, if I make a commitment... Like if I fully commit to that thing or that activity, then that means I'll have less freedom. Like I won't get to do all the stuff that I, I'll want to do. Like I'll, I'll be robbed of a little bit of time or I'll have to spend time with people I really don't want to spend time with. I have to do things I really don't want to do. And so sometimes we think our lack of commitment will bring us that thing that we are in love with and it's freedom. You know, you saw in that video, I mean, we're a nation built upon freedom. And as Americans, we love our freedom. And so, you know, in personal ways, sometimes we love our freedom. And we think, you know, I'm going to hold off on that commitment because if I fully commit to that, it'll take away some of my freedom and I'm an American. So I need freedom. I deserve freedom. And so we hold on to that perspective and it keeps us from making some commitments. But when it comes to freedom, God has a different perspective. So from God's perspective, it's the commitment makers that experience a freedom that commitment avoiders rarely experience. Jesus said in John 8, 31, he said, you truly are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Another way to say that is if you commit to follow me. In verse 32, Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So from God's perspective, freedom, like that freedom that we desire and, and bigger than that, more freedom than that, kind of an, an eternal perspective of freedom comes from our God-honoring commitments. Now, you notice I said God-honoring commitments because we can make commitments that don't honor God. Anybody know of somebody who's made a commitment that doesn't honor God? Don't point at them. Anybody make a commitment yourself that doesn't honor God? Like all of, like all of our hands should be up in that moment. Um, so we can make commitments that don't honor God. So if somebody makes a commitment to success at all costs, that person has also made a commitment to relational damage 
And they'll leave a wake behind them of relational damage, of, of people that they've hurt on their way to whatever goal that they have set for themselves. If we make a commitment to personal pleasure above all else, that commitment, that decision can lead us down some paths that lead us very far from God. So we've got to be careful about the commitments that we make. And obviously from God's perspective, he wants us to make commitments that honor him. So that's what we're trying to explore in this series. What are the God-honoring commitments that we can make and how can those commitments bring us the freedom that God promises. So as we start today, what we're gonna do is we are going to reach back over 4,000 years in history, and we are gonna look at a commitment that God made, a promise that God made to one man. And we're gonna see how that commitment affects us to this day. So we're gonna start in Genesis chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can flip over there. If you have a Bible app, you can pull that up as well, or the verses will come up on the screen. So Genesis chapter 12. And what I want you to do often, like I want you to do when we're looking in scripture and we're looking at a Bible story is I want you to kind of put yourself in the story. So I want you to kind of assume one of the roles of the characters in this story. So uh, the main character of this story is a guy named Abram, and he would later be called Abraham. So if you know Abraham, that's the guy we're talking about. So kind of assume his character while we're walking through this story. So just pretend like this morning, you get up, you're drinking your coffee, you know, you're surfing the web, you know, you're checking the weather forecast because you got to go out and tend the sheep, you know, just a few minutes, they're waiting on you. And then all of a sudden, God interrupts and God says this to you. Chapter 12, verse one. Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, like, I think you're probably a little bit startled as you're sipping your coffee and then you hear that voice from heaven uh, say those promises to you. But what would you be thinking if you were in Abram's spot? This is a chance for you to share out loud. What would you be thinking? What would you be feeling? A little bit of fear, like a voice just spoke from heaven. Like, what does that mean? What, what was the other one? Excitement? So excitement about, man, these are some big promises. I really like the promise um, that I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. I like that. That would be very valuable in life. Um, valuable in, in middle school, high school, you know, you know, somebody's picking on you, you know, they push you into the locker again. And then finally the word gets around school. Don't mess with that person. God's on their side. Like that would be amazing. So what else would you be feeling? Motivated. Motivated. So there's some motivation, I think, that maybe we would feel in that moment. Abram felt that motivation because verse four says, he departed as the Lord instructed. So he went, man, I don't fully understand this. Maybe a little bit of fear, maybe a little excitement, maybe a little bit of motivation. Like we're moving. And can you imagine the conversation with his wife, Sarah? Um, where are we going? I don't know. God said, let's go. Now, wait a second. Is this just because you don't have a map and you don't know the instructions to where we're going? Is that what it is? Like, no, really, I don't know where we're going. Like, God just said, go. And so Abram takes off. 
God starts blessing him in some big ways. So he starts blessing him with cattle and goats and sheep and servants, like everything of value in that day, Abram starts to get. And then God speaks to him again over in chapter 15. Chapter 15, starting verse one, says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid. So I'm sure there's a little bit of fear on that journey. But do not be afraid, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own, will be your heir. Then the Lord took him outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So apparently God and Abram are in their tent having a meeting and God says, hey, come on outside. Takes him outside, says, now look up at the stars in the sky. See if you can count them. Anybody ever been to a spot at night where you didn't have the distractions of city lights? Like there were no distractions. Okay, number of people. Isn't that amazing? I've been there a couple of times in my life, uh, uh, several different locations where didn't have the distractions of of city lights. And uh, when you look up at the stars, it's as if there are millions of them. And it's an awe-inspiring sight. And so Abram looks up and starts going, one, two, three. Okay, I can't do this. Like, wow, there's too many. Like, wow, there are, like, it appears to be millions. And God says, yeah, you're going to have more descendants than that. Verse six. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So had God answered his prayer yet in that moment? No, he hadn't answered his prayer. But what Abram did was he believed God before he worked. He believed that God was going to work and he believed that God was gonna work in his life in a powerful way and answer that prayer before God ever performed that miracle of providing descendants for him. But what about you and me? Do you believe God before he works or just after he works? I have this great tendency of believing God after he works. So after God answers a prayer, I'm like, wow, that is awesome. That is fantastic. Thank you, God. And there are moments that 10 minutes later, I'm on to the next thing. Okay, God, well, what about this? Like I've been praying about this for a while. Like, why haven't you answered that one yet? There are many moments I move on to the next one, but there are too few moments where I am truly believing God before he works. And that's what God wants for us. So do you believe that God's gonna work in your situation? Do you believe ultimately that God is going to provide for you? He's gonna protect you. He's gonna take care of you. He's gonna meet your needs. Do you believe that before he does it? That's the kind of faith that God's asking us to have. That's what God wants us to be like. Be like Abram in that moment and believe God before he works. Verse seven, then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And that's a a region that was east of that area. 
So I've brought you out of that area to give you this land as your possession. Now, this land would be known as the promised land, the land of Israel that we now know of, not fully what we now know. They don't fully occupy the land that God has promised to give them, but that's the general area that we're talking about. I've promised to give you this as your possession, but Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? So Abram kind of says like, hey, like, how, how do I really know this is going to happen? This land thing. Like, I believe you on the kid thing, but the land thing. Like, how do I know? So the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Okay? Now, we're Abram in this moment. And, and for us, kind of not knowing the culture and the context, we're going like, are we having a barbecue? Like, what are we doing? I don't get it. Petting zoo? Like, I don't know. Like, this is a little bit weird. But for Abram, he knew that God was about to make a covenant with him. Now, a covenant is the deepest of all agreements between two people. So it's, it's deeper than a commitment. It's deeper than the world that we live in. We live in a contract world. It's way deeper than a contract. And it's a little bit gory. So hang in there with me as I explain kind of the, the basics of an ancient covenant. So back in those days, what people would do when they wanted to make at the deepest of agreements they would get a couple of witnesses together. So let's say you and I are making an agreement about something. We would get some witnesses from our community, more than just a couple. We would gather some folks and say, hey, we are gonna make an agreement, the deepest of all agreements between us. So we want you to witness what we're gonna agree to. So we talk about the details. You'd ask questions. We'd answer questions. We'd talk about it, make sure everybody knows what we're doing. So we have witnesses. They're hearing it. They're seeing it. They understand. We understand. And then often what people would say is God is the primary witness to the agreement that we are making today. Then what they would do is they would get some animals. They would cut those animals in half. Here's kind of the gory part. So they'd cut those animals in half. They would set one part of the animal here, one part of the animal here, another animal, another animal, another animal, another animal. And they would allow the blood to flow between those animal carcasses. Then what they would do once everybody kind of understands what they're doing, this is the agreement. Here we are signing the dotted line. They would hold hands. They would walk down this bloody path to confirm their agreement. Now, aren't you so glad we don't make covenants like that today? Like, can you imagine our wedding ceremonies? Like, wow. Um, so if you and you do, then we've got the animals right over here. Um, be a little bit gory. But what people were saying as they walked down that path, they were basically saying to each other, let what has happened to these animals happen to me if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain. I'm willing to die like these animals if I don't do what I've promised to do. So nobody entered a covenant lightly. Nobody said, well, I didn't read the fine print. Like, you know, the fine print, like who could understand that? Like I just clicked the, yeah, I agree. No, nobody said that. Nobody said I didn't fully understand it or I didn't really mean to commit to that. It was a really big deal. So Abram went and got the animals. He cut them as God asked. He laid them out. And then verse 17 says this, says, after the sun went down and darkness fell, 
Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. In verse 18, the first part of that says, so the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. God made the deepest of all agreements with Abram and his descendants. Now, how many beings walked down that path? One. It was God. God walked down that path as if to communicate to Abram, I will fulfill my end of this covenant regardless of what you do. Listen to what 2 Timothy says. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. God will always fulfill the covenant, the promise, the deepest of all agreements that he has made with us. And you may wonder, well, what covenant has God made with me? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because Genesis or, or Galatians chapter three answers it. So listen to Galatians chapter three. Galatians three says this, if I can find it. Verse 29, and now that you belong to Christ, so the author, Paul, is speaking to anybody who's put their faith in, in Jesus Christ. So if that's you, Paul's speaking to you today. It says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. So you know what that means? You are a part of the promise that God made to Abraham. You are one of the stars in the sky. That God has promised to give him as a descendant. And because of that reality, it says you are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So guess what that means? God has promised to bless you. God has promised to protect you. God has promised to bless other people through you. And this is way bigger than what some Christians think. Some Christians teach this prosperity theology where they think that God has got to, to make us famous and rich here on this earth. But God's promise, this verse, is way more significant than that. It's way more significant than, than earthly riches or earthly fame. We celebrate the significance of this promise every time we celebrate communion. And we celebrate actually a new covenant that God has made with us. Uh, so we celebrated that at Christmas Eve and our Christmas Eve services. And then at the end of this series, we'll celebrate communion again. But listen to the elements of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a passage I usually read when we're... Uh, celebrating communion. It says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces. He said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. So it's very similar to how the animals were cut in half, how those animals were, were broken for that first covenant. And verse 25 says, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant. So this new agreement between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So how many people walk down that bloody path? One. Jesus. 
Jesus walked down that bloody path alone as he made a covenant that was confirmed with his blood. And here's basically what, what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, listen, regardless of what you do, I will fulfill my end of the bargain. In fact, Romans chapter five, verse eight says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that moment for all of us that we're saying, I'm not walking down that path. I'm not agreeing to that. That's nonsense. That moment that we're shaking our little fists at God saying, I don't want you being in control of me, being the boss of my life. I'll do what I want. I don't want you taking freedom from me. Jesus says, I'll walk that path alone for you to demonstrate my love for you. I will take your sin. I will take the sin of the, the, the world on my shoulders and become that sin to die so you can live for eternity. That's my covenant to you. That's my commitment. That's the commitment that God has made to us. And I don't know if that humbles you, but it humbles me. When I understand the elements of the covenant, the promise, the deepest of all agreements that God has made for us, even in those moments when I'm shaking my little fist at God, saying, I don't, I don't wanna listen to you, I don't wanna follow your ways, to understand that Jesus says, I love you that much that even when you're shaking your fist at me, I'll walk a bloody path alone and I'll die for you so that you can live. That's humbling here's the thing that God knows and we should know, we can never repay God for what he's done. Never. It's not possible. But here's what we can do. We can live our lives in response to what he's done. That's where freedom comes from. That's where Jesus said, if you commit to follow me, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's where true freedom comes from, committing to God and following him. So I have to ask, what God-honoring commitment do you need to make in your life in response to the commitment that God has made to you? For some of you, it, it might be that you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That might be the decision that you need to make this day, this time of year, that you need to decide after you have understood the covenant that God has made with you. Maybe you need to say, you know what? Like, I'm in. I need Jesus to be my personal Lord and Savior. So here's how you enter that covenant agreement. Number one, you admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Like, I, I couldn't walk down that path. Jesus, thank you for doing that for me. Like, I admit that I need you as a Savior. Number two, you believe that Jesus is that Savior and that he died so you can live. And number three, you commit to follow him the rest of your life. It's that simple. And if you've never done that before, I hope that you'll make that life-changing commitment today. But maybe you have made that commitment. And maybe if you're honest, maybe you'd say, you know, I've been playing around at this Christian thing. Maybe I've been walking the fence. Maybe I've never fully committed to him and his ways to really live the way that he wants me to live. So I honestly believe that that's what God's asking you to do. Fully commit, all of us, fully engage Step in, say like, hey, like I don't wanna just hang out close to the benefits where I get some of the benefits temporarily. I wanna fully engage this and I wanna experience this freedom for all of eternity. Maybe you have been drifting from your commitment to your spouse. 
Maybe you've drifted there. Like you made a commitment at one time. Maybe you didn't understand it was a covenant. And maybe you're reminded again today that this is about a covenant, the deepest of all agreements between two people. And as, as the world looks at our marriages, they should be able to see a reflection of God. And so maybe today you say, you know, I've got to recommit to my, my relationship with my spouse. So, and I don't know what your God-honoring commitment might need to be. Only you know that. But will you make that commitment? And will you follow through with that commitment this year? On your seat is a little card, our No Freedom card. So I encourage you to grab that for a minute. And uh, last week, if you were with us, we handed these out. And what I asked you to do is take some time this week processing, praying, what is that God-honoring commitment that I need to make this year? And what is that thing that, that I need to fast from? Because today we start our, our fast. And if you're new with us, uh, let me just explain that real quick. So fasting is this ancient spiritual discipline that's been used for thousands of years. And it's the, the principle, the practice of set, setting aside food of some sort uh, or some, uh, some amount uh, for specific reasons, spiritual reasons. And we're using it in this context for this commitment that we are making to God. And we're using this fasting time frame to fast and pray and say, God, like we need spiritual help. We need spiritual momentum. We're making this God-honoring commitment and I'm beginning the year. I'm confirming my commitment to you through the act of fasting. And so it starts today, we'll run for the next two weeks. And if you're new with us and you're, you're curious about it, go to our website, theepicchurch.com. You can see a fasting preparation guide that will help you get ready for that fast. And I invite you in. The best way to understand what a fast is all about is to go through the fast. So I invite you to experience this with us. Now, for everybody who was here last week, what I asked you to do is after you filled this out and processed the decisions that you were making, then go public by giving this to someone else, a trusted friend. Say, would you pray for me throughout this fast? Every day, I need that spiritual help. So I did that this past week. So I met with one of my friends and said, hey, here's some of the stuff that I've got to work on in my relationship with God, the commitment that I want to make to him. Here's the stuff I'm fasting. And I asked him, to be praying for me. So hopefully you've done that this past week. If not, there's still time to do that. But today we're gonna to take our go public uh, commitment to a different level. And what I ask everybody to do is fill this out again. Now, if you're new with us, uh, take one home, spend the week processing, praying, you can bring it back next week. But, but if you were here last week and you understand what, what we're talking about, fill this out again. And then what I ask you to do is slip this in one of our giving boxes before you leave today. We, got, we have giving boxes at the back of each section. And these cards are gonna get to our elders and our prayer team. And our elders and our prayer team are gonna pray for you every day during the two weeks of the fast. Now, you don't have to put your name on it. We're not interested in that. If you wanna put your name on it, you can. If you wanna write another prayer request on there, you can do that as well. But it is a true honor for us as leaders within this church to be praying for you. So I hope that you will do that. One of the other things that we talked about last week that's a great addition to what we're doing in this series is we've added a daily devotional. So it's a daily reading plan that can just help keep our mind focused on the things that God wants us to focus on as we walk through this fast together. So you can find that at our website, theepicchurch.com. And if you are not uh, fasting social media, you can go to our Facebook page and you can like our page there and you can get it there as well. So what I asked you to do during this closing song, our, our worship team is gonna come out and they're gonna guide us through a song called Give Me Faith. What I ask you to do is take a few moments 
and write down, what is that commitment that you've made? What is that thing that you've decided to fast from? And then determine for the next two weeks, starting today, that you're gonna fast and pray to confirm the commitment that you are making to God. So let's pray together. God, I'm so grateful for the incredible covenant that you have made with us. Lord, the deepest of all agreements that you make available to all of humanity. And yet, God, we have to receive it in order to be a part of that covenant. We have to receive it to be uh, one of your children. We have to receive it to be one of Abram's uh, offspring, his, his descendants. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, there might be someone here today who says, like, I need that. I need to respond to that. I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he can never see the kingdom of God. So scripture says, today is the day of salvation. I pray that if somebody's at that spot, they would invite you to be the Lord of their lives and they would commit to follow you the rest of their days. And Lord, many people have done that here. And we need to make a different God-honoring commitment. So you know what that commitment is and they, they probably know what that commitment is. So I pray that as we make these commitments, Lord, they really would be God-honoring commitments. And we would determine in this year to live a new way, a new life, uh, a, a new thing in our relationship with you, that we would determine to live in response to the covenant that you've made with us. So Lord, empower us to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.